Data Futurology has three exciting conferences coming up in the second half of the year. We have Data Engineering on the 5th of September in Sydney, followed by Advancing AI on the 6th and 7th of September in Sydney. And then October 24th and 25th, we're going to have our Ops World event in Melbourne. Our conferences cover three main pillars, executive perspectives on leadership and strategy in the space, industry use cases and case studies. And then the third one is advancements in the technologies. Come and find out what's happening in the community. Bring your teams along, get everyone together. It's going to be three great events. Hope to see you there. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project-focused data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today, we're going to be focusing on tackling issues of data engineering teams. Particularly, we're going to talk about improving deployments, improving observability, uh, improving reliability on our data pipelines, and how that can help our teams hunch above their weight. For that, I couldn't have a better guest. I got Paul Milinkovic. He is the regional director from Streamsets uh, joining me today. Thank you so much for your time, Paul. How are you going today? Yeah, great, great. Um, awesome to be here, Silipay. Um, yeah, and, and I'm really excited about what um, the topics are we're talking about today. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah excited, excited, basically. Yeah, mate. Same, same here. And for for a few years now, we've been running our data engineering conference uh, across Australia, and we keep hearing about these issues that you're not going to be talking about, particularly um, managing data pipelines, better deployment, better observability, and how much time it takes teams to, you know, be on top of uh, those pipelines and fixing them when they don't have uh, the, the deployment or observability practices that, that they want to have. So I'm very keen to get into that with you today. Uh, before we do, I wanted to ask if you could tell us a little bit about your, your role, your remit, um, first, first about you, and then I'll ask you to introduce the company too. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, look a little bit about me. I um, I started Streamsets in um, in APAC or APJ Asia Pacific and Japan uh, in September 2021. Um, my, most of it was was you know, I suppose serviced from overseas since then, but the organisation realised that then needed to be some some local presence. So you know that's where where the local presence came from. So. I've been with the company um, coming up to two years now. Uh, prior to that, I was in quite a different space for, for some time, more on the application space. Uh, so so rather than, I suppose, what this is as uh, an application, but as infrastructure, I was more on end user applications for almost 10 years. And then prior to that, I, I'd, I'd done some work in, in BI and um, 
uh, and a kind of tablet-based BI and worked on some some big kind of data projects and, and whatnot, worked for some master data management. So I've, I've you know, stepped my toe into data, worked in a few different areas, uh, MDM, BI, uh, some of the analytical, and now I'm, I'm looking at the, the kind of how we get the data from, you know, kind of source to where it actually makes sense for organizations to use that data. So that's a little bit about me, about my, my background. The work that you're doing now, it seems to be kind of the intersection of of the, the the different areas of your background. So a bit of BI, MDM, you know, application with a bit of software or, or on the side um, as part of that. The intersection of all of that is is you know points directly towards data engineering and and data pipelines. Well, well, yeah. Look, I think it does. I think it does point to that. I mean, one one thing that I did did miss out in there, I'd, I'd actually worked for an ERP vendor. Um, for you know, between the MDM and the BI solutions that I, I implemented, then went and did the ERP side of things, and you know, I suppose it gives me a, a pretty good rounding and a pretty good overview on on what the business you know is, is looking for in in terms of data, and then when that data does not uh, is not available, what happens? You know, how do how do we do that? So I suppose it does give me a fairly good rounding about about the whole thing, really. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Thank you. And tell us a little bit about about Streamsets. Yeah, so Streamsets uh, started in San Francisco in 2014, um, and, and I like the story about how Streamsets started because it was, um, you know, the the brainchild of a person at, uh, you know, one of the, the database companies, and uh, he he basically went to somebody else from. Uh, a data integration company and said, um, I, I want you to help, you know, the, this company, I want you to start this company with me. Uh, and, and really it came from the, the genesis of the fact that whenever things change in an organization, and let's face it, there's always changes in databases, in applications. And when you think about it, an application is just the front end to a database. So if somebody wants to add a new field to the application or change the length of it, they don't think about you know, what, what any of those downstream effects are. And, and I think at the time when he had the genesis of this idea, it might have been 2012 or even 2010, so it was you know, quite a while ago, uh, he was working at a, a bank uh, in America and that bank merged with two banks or with, with another bank, I should say. So what they did to understand the, uh, which, which bank the people's accounts came from, they prepended. Uh, a zero zero or a zero one, and turn the account number from an eight digit number to a ten digit number, and then what happened? All the pipelining broke, all the, the data stuff broke, and then they had to go and work out where that was. And, and yeah, as part of that integration process, the people on the integration side, even on the IT side, never go this thought, and he's just gone. Well, there's just got to be a better way for this, and um, yeah, so that's how that started. Uh, so Streamsets has representation in like the, the major continents in, in the world, you know, North America, APAC, so I'm based in Australia here, and, and then in Europe as well, so UK and, and also mainland Europe. And in um, oh, beginning of last year, actually, in beginning of last year, uh, there was an agreement for Software AG to um, bolster, if you, if you like, their integration space. Uh, they worked very well in the application integration, but any anyone that works in the data space 
known as a data integration is extremely different to application integration. So uh, they had a bit of a, a gap in their product offering and the agreement was was made to, to purchase StreamSafe by Software AG. So um, you know, it gives us the, the um, I suppose, the, the gravitas now with a, a big company behind us to go and really extend the product functionalities. Unreal, unreal. That is great. And uh, what do you see as some of the the, the main issues uh, that Streamsets helps uh, data engineering teams to to solve? Well, I suppose the biggest one that that we we see is there's two, right? So one one of the biggest ones though is is maintenance, um, and and also time to delivery. So you, you know when when you're looking at traditional methods of I suppose creating the data pipelines and, and creating that that data integration to, to start with, it, it does take it can take an inordinate amount of time. There's you know legacy products out there which have tried to do something. Um, they've got a little bit of a way to, to getting that done, but these products started in in the late nineties and the early two thousands. And honestly, we're coming up to twenty five years later. I mean, it doesn't. You know, when we say late 90s, it doesn't sound that long ago, but it is 25 years ago. So where do these products have had that genesis? They, they've tried to move with the times, but they haven't necessarily done, done that as well. And then you know, most of those products are focused on one or two types of pipelines. And you know, whether it's batching, that's, that's what we, we used to do, and that used to be okay. I'm in the BI project that I was working on um, was for, for a large telco. And the commitment was you would get yesterday's sales figures by 9 a.m. today. But that doesn't cut it anymore. So when you want your sales figures, you want them up to the minute. You don't want to see sales figures that were, were 24 hours old. And some of the, I also remember standing in a, in, a, in a whole group BI meeting and, you know, the models didn't update, you know, overnight because something, you know, changed, something went wrong and, you know, there were many times where where that wasn't updated by 11 a.m. and you know the sales leaders were, were going crazy because they just didn't have the figures that they needed. So you've got these pipelining products there that you know will do batch, they will do change data capture, they will do streaming, but they don't do it all together. So what that tends to mean is you need one product for batch. They might do change data capture as well, but if you decide that you want to go and do streaming, most companies will, will have to go and buy another product. So what's and and, and then the problem with that and yeah, the the, the, the top level seems okay, but the problem is that you don't have the full visibility of what's happening with your pipelines across the entire organisation. So that means then you've got to go and you know look at your pipelines, you know in in one product for batch and maybe change. And then another product for streaming. And then if you want to get a full visibility, you're then going to go and buy some sort of observability product that puts over the top of it. So then you've got observability in your batch and CDC product. You've got observability in your streaming product. Then you've got observability at the top. And which one do I look at? And how are you dealing with accesses and, and all that? So one of the things that the stream sets offers and is different there is that You've got observability across the three pipeline types, which we feel then is going to make it a lot easier for, for maintenance and, and also because you, you can see everything that, that's there. That's great. That's great. And so the, the um, 
the ability to have kind of multiple functionality in the same in the same software, I think is is excellent. Being able to build different types of, of pipelines and have the observability built in is awesome. Um, you also mentioned that uh, the the maintenance, as a result, I think the maintenance of the other pipelines is is easier. Um, but then, what about the the design and the and the build of the pipelines? What what uh, do you guys do in that space? Yeah, well, we're 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 all a no code or low code solution. So if you want to code, you know, you can, um, because we're, let, let's face it, that there, there's some coders out there that, that love to code and, and you're not really going to get away from, from that. So we make that available. You can code various stages. If you really wanted to, you could code the entire pipeline in, you know, the, these modern languages as well. So, so that's good. But one of the issues there about coding is when that person leaves, how do you then maintain it? So the way that we offer that coding solution is that the coding that is done is, um, is then available in what we call the canvas. So someone that's coded the, the pipeline can make that available and then someone who doesn't understand code can see the visual pipeline in, in that, a modern canvas. And, and our customers and the people that we demo to go, we love this user interface. It's so easy to use. It's um, you know, it, it's it's intuitive. Uh, the stages are there and uh, and whatnot. So that's why I think things are quite a bit easier with with the product than than some of the other products. And there are other products out there as well. But as I said, why well, they're, they're dealing with a, a twenty five year old user interface? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, for. Data engineers that and data engineering teams that you know they they get quite deep into the domain knowledge, uh, or they can get it quite deep into the domain knowledge of the organizations that they work in. There's forever a challenge about showing the business the work that they've done, what the the logic in the pipelines are, and being able to you know sit side by side with the business and jointly look at the same thing, point at it. And, and create that that deep understanding to be able to leverage the the domain knowledge of of the experts um, as much as possible. So it sounds yeah. like having a, a, a great uh, graphical user interface like that can definitely help alleviate that that challenge that when data pipelines are so abstract, it's quite difficult for um, for um, non-technical users to really understand it, but being able to see it visually, it it must help go a long way towards solving that that challenge for for people. Yeah, yeah, it it does. It certainly does go a long way for the data engineer to kind of step through that. But I mean, I suppose you've picked up on a pretty interesting point there, which is another thing that uh, we we kind of like to to leverage as well, in the fact that. Yeah, we because it is such a visual product, what we we try to make it well, we do make it available for lines of business as well. So I mean, if if anyone that's listening is in the in the data space, they'll typically know that the work that they're trying to do in the data space, um, you know, it comes from the business, right? So the business will say, I want you to to build, I need this data from here to here and, and so on and so forth. So so and, and that makes sense, but any of the, the data leaders and any of the, the sprint managers that are out there go, well, I've got eight weeks of sprints already full, they're already catered for. Um, now, what are we now? It's 15th of uh, June. Um, 
Yeah, okay, we can do that. I will start that on the 1st of September. And the business says, no, 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 I can't wait 10 weeks for, for the data. I mean, where we come out to end a financial year, the CFO needs these visualizations. So we can put those into um, the, the, final, the end of year um, financial reports uh, and all this sort of stuff. So then what do you do? What do you do? You, your data team can't, can't deliver everything that's needed. So you escalate it. And then, you know, it goes to the CEO and says, well, no, we deprioritize that. So it affects another part of the business. So what we then do is, is you know, because it is a, an easy user interface to use, it, it empowers those teams that have those sorts of analysts in those teams to be able to effectively self-serve. Mm-hmm. You know, they can say, I want this data from that database. And if... If I tell you the um, the IT teams, then I go no, no, no. We're not going to give um, give uh, access to you know, to um, business users to our database. What are they going to do with the data? Well, we've thought about that as well, and actually lock that down so they can say, well, you can use this data. You can just read that out, um, and then you can put it into whatever shape that you want and do whatever thing that you need to it with those various processes in that stage. So. What that, that then does is it kind of, it, it very much democratizes um, the accessibility to your know, organizational data to the various teams that need it. And then you can use your data engineers to focus on the, on, on the difficult stuff and on the, the, the stuff that really makes a difference to, to those businesses and to those individual departments. And I think that is, um, what you describe there is both like a key trend uh, that we're seeing in organizations at the moment in terms of the, that hunger for democratization and for more people to be able to do data work, really. Uh, but then that really enables the, the data engineering team that before, as you described, they would get kind of like a prioritized list of, uh, you know, all of the wish lists from around the business and have to kind of be fighting through that prioritization and and people would have to get in the queue to get their work done to now having a broader base of of users throughout the organization to be able to do data-related work, it means that the data engineers will get more of the interesting work, more of the type of challenges that really, you know, make makes them come alive. And because the reason why they became data engineers is because they, they want the the hard challenges, the interesting problems not kind of like the run of the mill or day-to-day stuff. And if that can be shared, or that, or that workload can be shared throughout the organization, it, it both really, it's a win-win uh, for... Where is, yeah, jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it certainly is a, is a win-win to, for the organization because the data engineers start to do more, more interesting work, the stuff that they want to do. Uh, the business gets what they need from 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 their data because that they are self-enabled and you know kind of everyone you know, really benefits from that and and it's not data is not the custodian of the data team the data engineering team and and i think your know, organizations need to have a bit of a think about that if they're thinking that i run the data team the data is my data and whatnot well I mean, you, you're there to service the, the business, right? And the business users are asking for this information um, so they can make 
you know, intelligent decisions around what information is actually there. So, you know, the data team is there to to enable it. And I think we saw something similar um, happen, I think, around about 10 years ago with the the, uh, the explosion of some of the, these SaaS applications, right? And, and IT was there going, well, this is my on-prem stuff and, and whatnot. And the business just went around them. The business and then started creating shadow IT. So I, I think everyone is going to benefit if the whole team works together and realizes what the data is there for and how that data can can be used for for, for decent a number of things, right? So for decent insights, customer uh, customer applications, we get a lot of organizations wanting to use our our, our product to help get data from their core systems and make it available for a customer portal. So then what that means is, yeah, I, I, some study I, d- I did a number of years ago was it was costing $27 per phone call into the call center. And if you can get, get customer service or get customers to serve themselves through these portals, you're dropping that to 50 cents or a dollar per service request. So the organization is not only saving a lot of money, but they're, they're giving the customer a, a better experience and they don't have to jump through a, a million hoops to go and do what they want to do. So, you know, those, those sorts of things. And it, it's all about that organization's customer and trying to increase the revenue for the organization and, and, and save money at the same time. Hundred percent, and it, and as you said, like it's it's so important for the the technical delivery teams, the specialists, to have that mindset of that we're there to enable the business, and that we're we're there to serve, and then finding ways where we can have specialist team and, and non specialist team working together in the same platform. I think is is great. Um, yeah. One of the one of the questions that always comes up with with self service and the democratization is around governance. Um, what what do you guys do in in the in that space governing the the data pipelines and uh, and the the deployments that get done in the product? Yeah, yeah, good question, good question. So, I mean, in, in the governance space, I've mentioned a little bit earlier about you know the, the business users being able to get access to to those core databases. So, yeah, what we We've got the concept of, of connections there, so that, that team uses those connections. Uh, there's also a concept of what we call fragments. So if the data engineering team wants to build those fragments, then the business team can just pick up those fragments and reuse those, put those into their pipeline as they need to. So so there is that that yeah, element of governance around there, what these pipelines should, should look like and and, and those sorts of things. So there, there is, you know, certainly that that element there as well. Um, and and what was the second part of your question? Uh, no, essentially that governance um, around the the building and the deploying of of the pipelines. Yeah, 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 sure. And so, and I suppose then the the deployment is, you know, it it, it needs to be, um, yeah, can role based access control, and then needs to be put on there as well. So. Really, if you once these things are into um, into production, you just don't want anyone and everyone being able to um, change those at, at will. So, so there is the the lockdown protection of, of those sorts of things yeah. uh, with with the product as well. So that 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 really helps. Um, yeah, if you're looking at these sorts of things from more of a um, a sequel based point of view, 
and, and, and the way that things used to be done. That kind of control and access and whatnot and, and code, it, it's it's there a little bit with, with code base releases and, and whatnot, but just generally not to the same level because then you end up with you know, code sprawl and, and SQL sprawl and, and, and all that as well and then managing that, uh, so some of those challenges too. Exactly, exactly. No, that's that's great to hear that you have, yeah, um, user access controls, data access controls, uh, role-level security. I think that that's phenomenal. And then being able to build reusable data assets, I think that would give a lot of um, a lot of confidence to the the data engineering teams, you know, that they can provide the um, the the assets that can be consumed across the organization for multiple purposes, knowing that uh, the quality of the data coming in is is at a high level and that the business can sort of take it from there. And mm. uh, I think that, that that sounds excellent. Yeah. And, and I mean that that's that's you know part of it. But you know, we we've also commissioned some studies as well because you know we've got a belief around around what we do. Um but it, it it's it's never better than having that validated by an external um you know research house and some of the research came back was was pretty interesting right so some of the research said that you know 76 percent of organizations have a pipeline break at least monthly and 36 percent that their pipelines break at least once a week so and then that the the the, the time and effort saying that the data teams are spending up to 50% of their time in finding and fixing where those breakages are. And these breakages aren't, um, they're they're not intentional. As I mentioned earlier, it could be the fact that somebody adds a new field or changes the field length or changes the field type uh, in the application space, but doesn't do a full either regression test or doesn't do a full impact analysis across the, the organization, right? So none of it's intentional, but what tends to happen then is that the business either starts getting incorrect data or starts getting wrong data or doesn't get in data at all. Things aren't updated. They're going, well, we had the same sales figures uh, today that we did two days ago and then three days ago. Then someone starts asking the question, is this thing actually working? So I, I did have... I did hear one situation where a customer had a broken pipeline. I don't know how the pipeline was built, but it was broken for a month before somebody realized. Because there was there were no alerts in there. Somebody changed something and they were making business decisions of month-old data that they thought was up to date. Huge, huge issue. And uh, I think that it's something that most unfortunately it's only that most people have seen and or experienced um and i i totally like at least in, in my experience i have definitely seen um an agreement alignment with those stats that you mentioned around 37 percent of pipelines uh, were breaking uh, on a weekly basis and 76 on a monthly basis definitely definitely the case and and um there's so many things that teams are trying to do to combat that um and and i can see it sort of you know in the in the lower end starting with putting in the in the final data products putting the information on when was the last runtime of that pipeline 
uh, what is the freshness of the data, having kind of like that uh, that information, the date and time right on the report um, to have an information to did this pass the test uh, that we have on our pipeline um, and then to having other measures of observability uh, and, and accuracy uh, or data quality uh, presented to the users alongside with the with the reports, but doing a or having a, a much better foundation, I think is critical that it'll just take a, a weight off the shoulders of the data engineering team that they're usually um, as as we we're talking about uh, before uh, be, before we we started recording that the data engineering teams you know they they care so much uh, about providing good platforms, good pipelines that are reliable and inaccurate that oftentimes when they don't have the the right the right tool sets really, they there's a, a requirement, almost a requirement for them to have these heroic efforts in order to be able to solve the problems that are there um, and to be able to continue to patch and be on, sometimes on, even on call. What, what have you seen in that space on how this affects the, the data engineering teams? Well, I mean, yeah, when, when they start doing heroes, because at the end of the day, what, 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 all these data teams have got projects to deliver, right? So, and no one likes missing a project deadline because project deadlines flow to the project manager, flow to the program manager, program director, and then generally out to the CIO. And then the CIO needs to explain this sort of stuff to the CEO and then um, to the business. And I come back to the fact that the only reason these projects are being done for business reasons. I mean, if you're doing stuff for, for IT or data purposes, I mean, you've got to think about yeah, why you're actually doing it. So no one likes to miss these deadlines. So what they then start to do is they try to do the, this, this heroic work, right? So, you know, I've got a lot of work to do. I start at 6 o'clock in the morning and I have a bit of a break at, you know, 11 o'clock for, for 10 minutes and and go through and I'm still working at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So you're seeing these individuals in these teams put in these massive, massive hours. And and look, we, we've all been in the space for, for quite a while. So you do do things that are outside the norm. But if it ends up becoming the norm, people just go, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And because they're just they're, they're burnt out. I, I, I also think in, in today's age where where we are in the in the 2020s, um, there's very much more of a, um, a a view to balance life and and work as as well. Uh, 20 years ago, it probably may not have been the same, but I think the pendulum is certainly swinging in that direction where life and work need to be balanced. And if organisations, you know, are putting too much pressure on on their teams and on their data teams to deliver what they need to deliver, uh, and it's just not possible, they just go. I'm going to go and work somewhere else. Yeah. Then what does that leave you with? Then then you're left with a, a depleted data team that you can't deliver your project anyway and leaves you with a maintenance nightmare because those people that pulled those heroics made you know the, the pipelines work in whatever way they needed to, whether it was with an old product or, or encoding. They're the ones that know how it works. So then you bring somebody else in. If you can get them, Right. Bear in mind that you know if we're talking about data engineers these days, they're hard to get. I mean, you 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 work in the space, you're hiring these people, right? So, you know, it's it's, it's got to be hard for you to to hire these people. 
And then if you if a pipeline breaks in that period, let's say you've got your your hero data engineer or your lead data engineer leave now, it'd be fair to say you wouldn't have have that person replaced before the first of September. Yeah. You know, I think think that would be um you know, fairly fairly um you know conservative as well, right? So if you're going to take ten weeks to replace someone and your pipeline breaks in that time. What effect does that have on the business? And this is all then caused because you put too much pressure on that person. They're not getting the fulfillment in their job. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and as you say, it is extremely challenging to to hire in this space. Um, and and as a result, people with the skills they've got choices, right? And if they're if they're valuing um, work life balance, and they're gonna make they're gonna um, vote with their feet. And, and go to the companies where there's a, a better environment. Uh, so I totally agree with that. And uh, before uh, before we jump into some some use cases or case studies, um, I wanted to ask you about the um, your views on the on the economics of having teams that engineering teams spending the majority or a lot of their time on fixing pipelines and what what effect that has on the on the business. Well, it simply means that, you know, if they're fixing, they're not building new pipelines, they're not making more data available. And at, at the end of the day, let's say you've got a team of 10 data engineers and depending on, on your viewpoint, if you're a large organization, that's a small team. If you're a smaller organization, that's a large team. But I don't know, let's say that that data engineering team costs you 150 grand a year in salary, not 150, uh, 1.5 million. In salaries alone, right? So, if you're spending half the time, you're spending seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year just finding and fixing where these issues are. Just think about what that seven hundred fifty grand could do to improve where the business is. Could that be put into to other projects and whatnot? And look, let's say I've got that number by a wrong a factor of wrong by factor two. Um, you know, at it's not fifty percent; it's only twenty five percent. Still three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah, so just think of what you can do with that money. Do another project. You know, create more benefit to the business by creating that project. So, so that's that's one of the, the things there with the the maintenance. And if I can, you know, find those issues because some of these are buried deep in code somewhere. That's the thing. They're buried deep in code, and it takes a little work and and patience to be able to. Uh, allocate or uh, to to be able to find the issue and then uh, turn it around and then get the pipelines to uh, start running up again and and the the wait for the data to update and and um, communication with stakeholders which are always wanting the information as quickly as possible as you know most organizations now have data as their core so it needs to be a service that is always on and uh, all, and always accurate and always reliable um, so that. Yeah, definitely the, the, the economics are, are important there. Um, so last thing I wanted to touch on is some um, some customer uh, or some use cases, some case studies that you that you can share with us. How how uh, how are these uh, what do these improvements look like in in the wild? Yeah, right. Um interesting. Okay, good good question. So talk about a bank that we've got as a customer in Australia. Um they they're a, a, a tier two bank, 
So they had to deliver the um, consumer data right for the banking sector. And because they're a tier two bank, that didn't have to be delivered in until June 2021. I think the tier one banks had to have that delivered a year prior. Anyway, this bank decided, well, they didn't decide. They, they hadn't done anything about this in February 2021. So, you know, yeah. and the consumer, yeah, so, so they gave themselves four months to comply with the Consumer Data Right Act for in, in the banking sector. And I, I don't know about you, I mean, but to me that seems like an extremely aggressive timeline. And if somebody said to you, Philip, a, you know, when you're working in this space, you have four months to get this done and it's got to be right, otherwise there's you know, governmental fines because you're not complying with the legislation. What are you going to do? Are you going to you going to beat your house on that? You know what, don't you? Oh, not at all. So, not at all. That is extremely challenging, uh, and yeah, it's such a tall order um, to yeah to the first well to do in the first place, and then do it in such a short amount of time. That would be tough, especially with like the consumer data right uh, information that they they're quite so detailed in in the the data structures that they needed. Um, and being able to pimp or have updated data so regularly, uh, it means that the the pipelines that need to be built uh, are just more massive and need this high high level of reliability. And yeah, three to four months is a extremely short amount of time. Yeah, they got it done. They got it done. They used they used used our product. They used stream sets, and they were able to deliver that. In that time frame so this is one of the other things that we say about efficiency we believe and like this is a massive stat man because it's so big there's a there's a i think probably a lot of organizations that don't actually believe it but we we believe that we can make organizations that data engineers 90 percent more efficient than they currently are you know using the, the current um current situation so look that's um that that's one one thing there so they were able to deliver consumer data right I'd call it three months, right? Because you don't want to go down to the wires of June 30 and, and then have an issue. You want to go through your testing and then, then make that available, you know, for the first of July. So they're able to get that that done in a time frame. Um, another bank has a customer. Um, when I first started, they they had two sections of of their team. One was their fraud management team. And then the other was their their advanced advanced analytics team, and the advanced analytics team was using a um, one of these older legacy kind of kind of products, uh, and the fraud team was was using our product. And the the comment that stuck in my mind was, "Are oh, using this product, the advanced analytics team using this product? That pipeline is going to take us four days to build." And the fraud team said to them, "Give it to us. We'll have it done in four hours." And that's the sort of level of efficiency that, uh, that they're able to get uh, using using stream sets and, and the product there. Uh, so so, so it, it certainly certainly helps out in in that fashion. And interestingly, just last I think it was last year at Gartner, um, that bank is using our product to what nine million dollars. Oh, I think it was the the, the biggest uh, month they had. Thought nine million dollars worth of fraud, fraudulent activity, uh, in in card activity or, or scamming and, and whatnot 
in, in that that bank alone. So in one month, uh, wow, you know, it saved it's over the nine million bucks. Wow, amazing, amazing! Like that speed of delivery and then that business impact on a monthly level and fraud is is one of those applications that you want to be and you need to be on top of it uh to be able to um to react and action it uh, appropriately so that is that is phenomenal that is phenomenal and paul for for the people that want to find out more about about stream sets uh where where could they go the easiest way to find out about the product is go to streamsets.com and there's there's a whole stack of stuff in there there's a lot of case studies in there uh, there's case studies across a, a whole heap of verticals as well. So, you know, I've mentioned two, and, and both happen to be in the finance sector, but, you know, we've also got, you know, the world's largest mining companies as um, as customers as well. Uh, we've got education, you know, um, uh, tertiary education uh, customers. Uh, we've got customers in the health sector where, where data is, is you know, absolutely, you know, key for making real-time decisions and, and whatnot. So, it's that that's really the genesis of the product as well so making real-time decisions and having real-time data hence our name stream that's so it's not just it's a it's a bit of a bit of a um a play on words where you're streaming data sets if you like so that that's how that, that came about but yeah streamstats.com and uh, you can can learn more about that and um you know, if you want to want to learn more, there's there's um, we're we're kicking off a free trial next week as well, so you can get in and start using the product. Uh, so yeah, that that will, will be interesting. And it, then we've got people uh, that you can talk to that are in Australia. Uh, and and if yeah, the podcast is going out across Asia and the world as well. We've got people in Asia, people in Europe, people in North America that some that they're more than happy to have a conversation with you. Amazing, amazing. And we'll be including links uh, in the show notes as well for people to be able to check it out. I encourage you to jump on the free trial. Let us know how you find it. And Paul, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with us about the problems that you guys are solving, uh, all your your experience and the different approaches and, and really how data engineering could be by minimizing the pain of those teams and allowing them to work uh, in, on the more interesting challenges. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks, Phil. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for watching this video all the way to the end. I hope that you got a lot out of this discussion. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the channel um, so more people can find out about the challenges that leaders have in the analytics and AI space and that's what we're trying to share in Better Futurology. Uh, so please like and subscribe and if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please tell your friends. Thank you so much.